This evening's reading is taken uh, from 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, reading verses 1 to 19. So 1 Peter 4, uh, verses 1 to 19, page uh, 12, it says 20 here, it says 1219 I think in the sheets. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. They think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gifts he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks... He should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief, or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. This is the word of the Lord. The lights have gone out on the pulpit. I'm hoping it's not a parable. Let's pray. Gracious Father, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And Lord, how we pray now that you would illuminate our minds, our hearts, our wills, and having revealed your light to us, so move us to walk in that light so that we may know you in the fullness of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
Well, do keep that uh, Bible reading open. It's on page 1,219 and 20. So you were right both ways, David. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 4 in the Pew Bibles, 1219. As many of you will know, uh, we're nearing the end of the Vicarage renovation project. I know many of you know because uh, most of you tell me at exactly what stage we're up to uh, as you walk past and then report it to me. And uh, we're looking forward to moving out of our temporary accommodation, lovely though it is, and back into uh, the marvellously renewed vicarage. Uh, we're grateful uh, to the Lord for the work the diocese have done and especially uh, for that our own Bill Briggs has done who has uh, managed the project with uh, wisdom and grace. Both were needed at many stages. Uh, but there is a danger for us in moving back uh, into our newly uh, renovated home, uh, as there is a danger for all of us in this passing world uh, whenever we're really looking forward to getting settled somewhere. And that is the risk uh, of seeing this world, that new house or uh, the new stage in life and the trappings that go with it, uh, as in any way permanent or ultimate For in his first letter, uh, Peter presses home uh, to his first hearers, and so uh, through the Holy Spirit, writing these words on our heart to us also, that we are never truly at home in this world. And no matter how nice the house, or how comfortable the stage of life, or how much we're looking forward to whatever is coming next for us, uh, the language he uses back in chapter 2, verse 11, is that we are aliens and strangers here in this world Uh, Through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, uh, through the great mercy of God our Father, uh, we have a new birth into a living hope that centers on nothing we will see in this world and nothing we will experience at least in fullness in this life. Rather, he said back in chapter 1, that inheritance is kept in heaven for us. And our hope is that one day we will share in Jesus' resurrection in a world that will be made new, uh, what John calls the new heavens uh, and the new earth uh, in his great revelation. And uh, the life of obedient faith in the Lord Jesus is that which marks the journey home. But it means that at every stage on that journey, we're never truly home until it comes to that day when we see him, uh, and whether it comes because we die first or he returns, uh, when he takes us home uh, to uh, realize that inheritance, well, then we truly shall be at home with the Lord. And so here and now, we're aliens, strangers. We're on a journey, and by God's grace and provision, uh, we make that journey together. Uh, Peter said much about that in this letter as well, about the fact that we have brothers and sisters who are on the road with us, Picking us up when we fall over and using us to pick them up when others stumble and struggle. Encouraging one another to press onward in this journey. Making the most of our temporary lodgings, as it were. And looking forward to receiving the great inheritance. And we share with one another the trials of traveling as strangers in a hostile world. This is the the language and the imagery that Peter has used throughout the letter We share, as we go on that journey, a common craving to be fed by the word of God, the pure milk of God's word, that we may be encouraged to keep trusting in the Lord and spurring one another on in that way. As we journey, we're bonded with family ties, deeper even than that of our own flesh and blood families. And it's as we journey, homeward bound, that Peter would comfort and strengthen us 
with the message that the journey is nearly over. At the end of all things is near. As Paul puts it, our salvation uh, is nearer now than the day we first believed. Uh, That phrase there, chapter 4, verse 7, at the end of all things is near, uh, is that which dominates uh, this particular chapter in Peter's letter. We've had much of the journey. uh, Well, now we're looking ahead, and he's encouraging us that the end uh, is in sight. That end uh, will mean the day of God's Judgment, and that's the theme uh, of this chapter. Uh, Devastating news for the unbeliever, we'll see that, but for the one whose faith is in the risen Christ, uh, who's looking forward to that inheritance, uh, verse 13, that means journey's end will bring unspeakable comfort. And therefore, as we talk with one another about how wonderful that will be and encourage one another to keep on believing it in a world where most don't, Well, then we bring one another from God uh, present comfort along the way. The reality is the journey is hard. Uh, Traveling as a Christian pilgrimage, uh, a Christian pilgrim to that place of glory uh, is a struggle. It's all too easy to lose sight of the goal, uh, the salvation of our souls, as Peter put it uh, back in chapter 1, the goal of our faith. And the pressures of the world that presses in, uh, the flesh that we know so well with its own uh, temptations, the devil who uh, looks for us to uh, snatch us away from the Lord, uh, well, so uh, the dangers are there before us. They come to us in a way that our love for the Lord may grow cold, our longing for his glory may become something which seems fragile, almost fictional. Our love for one another on the journey uh, may grow cold also. Peter knows these things. He knows that's what it's like because he was on the journey as well. And that's why he writes as he does uh, in this chapter with his message that the end of all things is near. So hold on, press on, and encourage one another along the journey. After all, he will say to us, if there was no judgment of God, if there was no hell to be shunned or heaven to be gained, if our worst fears were what our fellow human beings could do to us, and if our greatest hopes would be a blessedly lengthy and comfortable retirement, well then, why bother living the Christian life at all? Why struggle to be holy, far easier to live as you please, or perhaps with that acceptable level of respectability that means people will think relatively well of us? Why expend costly effort in serving one another in love in the imperfect family of the congregation when we could better devote our efforts to our pleasures and hobbies entirely? Why suffer for Christ's sake? That is the most extraordinary thing of all. Uh, Better to choose a more appealing religion, uh, if you're going to be religious at all. Uh, One stripped of judgment, uh, one that makes less demands upon you, that does not demand real repentance uh, or heartfelt service. One that makes you feel good as you are, that sanctifies uh, the choices that in your flesh you would like to make. Well, says Peter, when the pressures of life start raising questions like that, we need to remember the end of all things is near. Lift up your heads and see that the judgment of God is coming, that the glory of Christ will be revealed, and that our inheritance to be gained in heaven will far more than outweigh the suffering and cost of following Christ in this life when so many refuse to do so. 
And so in these verses, as we go through, as we live as strangers, living in the light of the end of all things, this is the way to devote our lives. Three sections, verses 1 to 6, live in holiness. I can't put them on the screen because it's not there. Second, verses 7 to 11, serve in love. And third, verses 12 to the end, suffer in joy. You'll just have to remember them tonight and maybe jot them down. Live in holiness, serve in love, suffer in joy. Verses 1 to 6, live in holiness. Uh, Peter in this letter writes quite uh, densely, and so we will need to work hard to unpack what he's saying. Uh, Verse 1, though, takes us back to the cross. Therefore, uh, in the light of the salvation brought by Jesus' death uh, that Peter's just talked about, chapter 3, verse 18, and so on, uh, therefore, uh, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. Christ suffered in his body for us. He died for our sins in our place, bearing the punishment that brings us peace. That's what Peter's been teaching us in this letter, uh, that we might come and belong uh, to God. And so Peter says here, having suffered in his body, Christ is done with sin. Of course he's not saying uh, that Jesus has any sin of his own uh, to be done with. He's done with sin in the sense that he's finished dealing with sin once and for all. He's achieved our full and final salvation on the cross. And so there is no longer any condemnation uh, awaiting the Christian because Christ suffered in his body for us. And he who suffered in his body is done with sin. He begins with a word of assurance. Then he goes on, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. In other words, you cannot at the same time trust in Christ's death for your sins uh, that have completely forgiven you and made you a child of God and then go on living as you did before, not worrying about your sins, not turning from them, uh, not striving instead to live in holiness. It's impossible. Christ who suffered for us is done with sin and if we belong to him, And then Peter says we need to have the same attitude, uh, that decisive turning away uh, from sin and self. Uh, Or to put it another way, no faith without repentance, no salvation without obedience. Just as Christ uh, set himself to go to the cross uh, and to suffer for us there, uh, so we must also, in his words, uh, set ourselves to take up our cross and follow him obediently. So verse 2, as a result, he, uh, the Christian this time, uh, does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Of course, Peter's not saying uh, that we don't sin. Far from it. The longer we've known Christ, the more uh, we realize how much and how often we fail him. And yet there has to be uh, that decisive turning away from self to follow Jesus Christ if we would really belong to him It's a bit like marriage. You're you're either married or you're not married. Being married doesn't mean you'll treat your spouse perfectly from that day forward. Sadly not. That's why we need now the third marriage course, which David and Rosemary are running so excellently, and I'm running out of paper to write down the number of ways in which I need to change in order to become a better husband to my dear Sarah. But the reality is I am married, genuinely married, and nothing will change that. Does that mean I'm a perfect husband? Of course it doesn't. Uh, There is always uh, room to grow in godliness and grace, even in loving our spouses, let alone in loving our Lord. 
Of course, uh, Christ has suffered for us and that work is uh, finished. But as he has suffered for us, so we, Peter says, must arm ourselves with that same attitude to put to death uh, those things of the flesh and the world and the devil and take up our cross and follow Jesus in holiness. And if we belong to him, if we uh, hunger for righteousness in his own words, Well, then the turning away is detailed here uh, from verse 3, this flood of dissipation uh, that Peter describes. He's writing to people who uh, lived as adults uh, fully in the world of sin. Uh, You've spent enough time, he says, uh, doing what the pagans uh, choose to do. And yet, uh, now we must live a different way. It's not that the uh, the things themselves uh, are wrong. Uh, sex is a good gift of God in marriage. Uh, wine is given, according to the Psalms, uh, that it may gladden the heart of man as a gift uh, of God. Every good and perfect gift is from above and to be received with thanksgiving. But when those good gifts of the world are abused... When earthly appetites are indulged with with selfishness and excess and in ways that go against the Creator's intention uh, as written for us in the Scriptures, well, there you have idolatry. And the way of the pagan, uh, Peter says, is this arrogant, uh, selfish, ungrateful abuse of God's gifts. The way of holiness uh, is not to abandon the world and move to the monastery. It is rather to thank God humbly for his gifts, uh, receive them and use them uh, to bless our brothers and sisters. Uh, Pagans, verse 4, non-Christians, think it's strange, though, that we're different, uh, that we no longer want to uh, plunge into this flood of dissipation with them. And it's true, isn't it? Uh, People resent us. If you become a Christian and stop doing the ungodly things you once did, They'll notice that you no longer swear in the way that you did, or you may still enjoy a beer, but you no longer go with them to the extent of drunkenness and so on. Those things become obvious to those around us, and people may well start to grumble that your piety is spoiling their fun. Indeed, the word Peter uses at the end of verse 4 is literally to say that you will be blasphemed because you no longer conform to that pagan way of life. But it is, nevertheless, our calling. We must expect uh, that reaction and strive for holiness nonetheless. Why? Because the end is near. Verse 5, they, uh, those who reject fire, uh, Christ and abuse Christians, will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. I'm sorry I was an atheist. It's not going to impress the risen Lord Jesus when a man meets him on the day of judgment. We must pursue holiness. There is no other way uh, to escape the wrath that is coming on an ungodly world. And now it's hard to live like that uh, because it doesn't look that way at the moment. In this world, uh, suffering and death take no account of godliness. Uh, The pagan and the Christian uh, go hand in hand to the crematorium chapel. That's why Peter adds, verse 6, for this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Death is God's judgment upon sinners. Always say that in a funeral service, uh, whether of someone who was a a clear Christian with a a godly heritage or someone uh, for whom there was no equivalent evidence. 
All of us have sinned and turned away from God, and therefore all of us die under the curse of God. And if all we can make our judgment by is what we can see, then it seems that his judgment takes no account of holiness. It's been my privilege over the many hundreds of funerals I've done to bury some real saints. But I've also buried some dreadful reprobates whose stories would make your ears burn. All die, judged according to man in regard to the body. What difference does it make? Well, says Peter, for those who believe the gospel, yes, sin delivers its last sting and the death of our mortal bodies, and uh, according to human beings, that's all we can see, but beyond lies the real difference. Beyond death, believers live according to God in regard to the Spirit. They are brought home to the Father. They are away from the body and at home with the Lord as Paul puts it in his writings. And another ancient Jewish writer, not in the Bible, but expressing this biblical hope, puts it like this. The souls of the righteous are in the hand of God. No torment will ever touch them. In the eyes of the foolish, they seem to have died, and their departure was thought to be a disaster, and they're going from us to be their destruction. But they are at peace. For though in the sight of others they were punished, their hope is full of immortality. Having been disciplined a little, they will receive great good because God tested them and found them worthy of himself. The end is coming. The judgment is upon us. So live in holiness. Second, verses 7 to 11, serve in love. Uh, This is where we come to that key phrase, the end of all things is near. And there are two makes that Christians often make when considering the return of Christ and the end of all things that it will mean. Some people get terribly excited about predictions about when the day and the hour will be. And it seems to consume them, not in the sense that they then pursue holiness and love their brothers and get on with following Christ, but actually, so they bury themselves in books and get into disputes with their fellow Christians uh, about matters that really we do not understand. And others, and perhaps this is rather more common, uh, slip into apathy. Like those scoffers who say, where is this end? Everything's gone on as it has since the beginning. Uh, surely it's not really coming. Well, both, Peter says to us, uh, are destructive not only of personal faith, but of vital church life. We need uh, to have the reality of Christ's return always before us, not obsessing about the details, but letting us stir us uh, into action. Uh, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled. Clear-minded and self-controlled. Now, think about the attitude uh, that you would want amongst a group of firemen uh, waiting on duty for a call. A fire crew that was convinced uh, they could tell in advance by some sort of uh, sixth sense uh, the time and location of the call are clearly mad and not at all to be trusted. A fire crew uh, who didn't really believe that a call would come that night uh, and so who felt that they were rather tired so they put their earplugs in and were just going to go to bed. It's probably not going to happen tonight. It didn't happen last night. Well, they're not much used to you at three o'clock in the morning when your house is burning down. What we want is a clear-minded, self-controlled crew who are ready at a moment's notice to respond with the full vigor of uh, their abilities. 
gospel. That's the attitude Christians are to have at the return of Christ. We're to be ready for his arrival at any moment, before even the end of this sermon. Some of you may think that a great blessing. We don't know when the end will be. And we shall not know until he comes. It will be as a thief uh, arriving in the night. And I hope you don't spend the rest of the service worrying whether you put the front door lock on. Uh, But in the meantime, we don't lose our heads and we don't fall asleep. We watch and pray, confident in his appearing, animated, enthused, energized, because we're longing for his appearing and we want to be seen uh, pleasing him when he comes. Above all, uh, because this is what uh, pleases uh, the Lord Well, first of all, to pray, be uh, clear-minded, self-controlled so you can pray, uh, be conscious of his coming, and so uh, uh, spend your time uh, with him. That's the first thing. And then above all, uh, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Because he's coming, we must get on with loving each other here and now. Very interesting, isn't it? Very practical. Because he's at the door, Brothers and sisters, we need to look after one another and spur one another on to be ready to meet him. And if we're to love each other deeply, well, then that love is to be grounded in forgiveness. Love covers over a multitude of sins. So much. And this is true the more we get to know each other. That's true in marriage. It's true in church life as well. The longer we spend going along our pilgrimage together, the more, actually, we need to be able to forgive each other and to continue uh, to look over that multitude uh, of sins and encourage one another to keep on going. Offer hospitality, verse 9, to one another without grumbling. It's very realistic, isn't it? Uh, Peter assumes that in a normal church uh, there will be many sins that we do to each other that need forgiving and that we will be tempted to grumble when it comes to those loving acts of service. Verse 10, uh, each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others, uh, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and power forever and ever. And all the people said, Slightly English. There we go. Uh, Notice uh, the words that are spoken uh, are the very words of God or to be spoken as if they were. That the gifts that are given are administrations of God's grace, not celebrations of our personal talent. And that when we serve, we do it in God's strength and we do it so that he is praised. There's no room for uh, a tall poppy in the congregation. Uh, The person to think, uh, gosh, aren't I dedicated and devoted? Uh, Look at my great skills and gifts that are being used here. It's not like that, is it? Uh, But neither is it the case uh, that only 20% of the congregation uh, are doing 80% of the work. So here we have God giving gifts to everyone who knows and loves Jesus Christ. Uh, And whether they're gifts... uh, Peter divides them into two broad categories of standing up and speaking or of being behind the scenes and serving. It really doesn't matter because those gifts come from God. They're to be used in a way that glorifies God. They're to be done with the strength and the guidance that God gives. So there's no room for any personal glory. And there is every opportunity for every Christian to serve and to bring glory to God glory to God in the church as they do so. 
And so once again in this letter, uh, Peter stresses that God provides for our spiritual needs by giving us each other. If we look around the congregation, uh, this is God's gift to us to help us follow Jesus. As we love, as we forgive, as we share our lives with each other in this little outcrop of heaven that is the local church, as we discover the gift or gifts God has given us for our mutual benefit, so we are built up and encouraged to be the family of God under the word of God in this place. And friends, it's hard for me to emphasize just how important this paragraph is for us all to take into our hearts, to so focus on Christ that first we pray and then because the only thing that counts is our faith working itself out in love to each other, to love each other deeply. That is from our hearts, not with that shallow association of a mere club, but that brotherly love because we are one family in Christ. It means a love that is loyal and tenacious, a love that is grace-filled because we know our faults. You know mine and I know some of yours. We know each other's faults and failures and yet rather than walk away, We forgive and show that grace upon grace. Here is an intimacy, a hospitality, a sharing of lives and homes as we follow Jesus Christ together. Here is a practicality as we serve one another, fixing boilers and folding service sheets and teaching Sunday school and serving in cafes and a a thousand other ways in which the Lord would have each one of us play our part in his family here. Do you know what your gift is? Do you know what your ministry is? Are you using it in the Lord's strength and for his glory? I'd love to spend more time here, but we must move on or we shall never go home. The end of all things is near, so serve in love. Uh, Thirdly and finally, uh, verses 12 to the end, suffer joyfully, suffer in joy. Here is... Uh, where perhaps the message is hardest, uh, most counterintuitive, and most countercultural. But if you've been with us through the series, uh, not at all unexpected. Peter has uh, had this again as one of his repeating themes uh, through the letter. Uh, Jesus said to his disciples, All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And so Peter says here, verse 12, uh, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Can you see the logic? The end is near, so look forward to that joy that is coming when Christ is revealed. Jesus and all his apostles were so clear that to follow Christ would mean sharing in his sufferings. Not sharing in his suffering for us, Uh, But if uh, we follow him from uh, our hearts, uh, we will share in his suffering in the sense that we, like he was, will be rejected by those who rejected him. Jesus assured us uh, that in this world his followers would have trouble, but take heart, he said, for I've overcome the world. And Peter encourages us in a similar vein here. We uh, maybe sometimes find ourselves with the boot on the other foot. Uh, We think it's strange, uh, not that we suffer, but that we don't. Many of us, uh, through uh, God's providence, uh, live with relatively little cost uh, in following Jesus Christ. 
uh, in our culture and generation. I think the tide is turning and the signs for that are apparent all around us. Uh, But even here in a country that has known Christ uh, in some measure for 17 centuries, even here to follow Christ with all our heart, to uh, pursue holiness, to live under scripture, uh, to put the Lord first, Well, if we do that, well, I would be very surprised if there is no sense at all in which we do not arouse some opposition verbally or practically from our families or our neighbours or our colleagues in our lives. Indeed, I would challenge us on the basis of this passage to this question, if our faith costs us nothing, I think Peter would say to us, is it worth anything? If our faith is painless, Is that because we have trimmed it to fit the expectations of our friends or family or our culture and its mores? If we are following Jesus Christ, then according to the Lord himself, we will expect that at least in time and at least to some measure, there will be that pushback from the world and the flesh and the devil And when it comes, and Peter's writing to Christians who know uh, the full experience of the onslaught of the evil one, uh, Peter's point is that in the light of eternity, uh, this suffering is sent by God for our encouragement. That takes a step of faith, doesn't it? Uh, Not our discouragement, for our blessing, not our condemning. Uh, He sends uh, these experiences to strengthen faith, to deepen our dependence on the Lord Jesus and our longing to be with him. If you're insulted, verse 14, because of the name of Christ, you're blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. When I became a Christian uh, in uh, 1989, uh, it was uh, there was a full uh, um, uh, division going on uh, over the uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit. And everyone was talking about the Holy Spirit uh, and how he was operative uh, in our lives. For some, it was uh, through gifts and miraculous signs. For others, uh, just through bringing us to Christ and sustaining us in faith. Although both sides, of course, would agree that that was central. But no one ever turned to 1 Peter 4, verse 14, that the way to know the fullness of the Holy Spirit is to suffer because of Jesus Christ and to be insulted simply for bearing his name and not being ashamed of it. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Do you want to know the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Well, he's reserving that blessing for those who are so committed to Christ that when the suffering comes, the spirit of glory and of God will rest upon us to bear us through the suffering and take us home to be with him safely. That's a remarkable thing. Do we really want the fullness of the Spirit if it's accompanied by suffering for Jesus' sake, as he says here? I say we pray for it. We want to know God in all his fullness. But what an extraordinary linkage. Now, verse 16, if you suffer as a Christian, uh, do not be ashamed, but praise God if you bear that name. It's uh, not suffering Uh, Because you're a fool, it's suffering for uh, Christ's sake. Uh, That is uh, here uh, in view. If we do, if we suffer for his sake, we have the fullness of the Spirit. We have a longing for our heavenly home. And in these closing verses, Peter adds a complementary truth about suffering for Christ as well. That God judges even his own redeemed family, he says. He brings the discipline of suffering into the path of those 
who trust is some. And at the end of our lives, as we thought at the beginning, our bodies suffer the judgment of death. God so hates evil that he must deal with it, even in his chosen spirit-filled people. And if that's the case, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? The idea is that if our holy God treats his friends like this so that even we shall die, then what hope is there for his enemies? It's hard, he says, for the righteous to be saved. Hard, but not impossible with God. Indeed, uh, by raising his son from death, he's guaranteed our salvation. But for the persistently ungodly, uh, the sinner who refuses to come to Christ, there is no hope rather the certainty of damnation. Or so then, uh, Peter concludes, and so will I, uh, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. It's a serious passage, isn't it, tonight, uh, friends? But let's hear uh, God's word and receive it. Uh, If we're Christians, the end is near. Even if we're not, the end is near. But if we're Christians, then we're homeward bound. And that perspective changes everything. It compels us to live in holiness. It leads us to love and serve one another. It enables us, even when suffering comes, to rejoice in the glory that is yet to be revealed in us because we're in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we prayed for light and that you would open our eyes. And we pray for that inner light, that inner hearing, that you would indeed fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we may bring glory to Jesus as we testify to him, as we live for him, as we hold on to him by faith, and as we long for his appearing when he will come and surely take us home. Lord Jesus, make us ready. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen.